we should probably do an actual beginning to this episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> ready, set, go. <laughs> hey there, I'm Laura. And I'm Georgiana. And this is Decanterbury Tales. Good morning. This is January 27th. It is early burly. We're releasing this episode today. So you are getting the most fresh content. Uh, it's definitely not because we realized it was late last night and didn't want to record late. So you get our authentic morning selves. Yeah, authentic morning selves. Never again. <laughs> Never Again, we have discovered that we are not morning people. So we have a great episode to share with you guys today. Episode two, our interview with the author of When We Believed in Mermaids, Barbara O'Neill. She's so open about her her responses to our questions and talking about her process and her characters. And She's lovely, guys. Just lovely. She's so great. She's so easy to talk to. She's funny. She has so many insights on kind of what it is to be an author, what it is to be a reader. Oded Shaked from episode one sent us an email that he also read the book. So if you guys haven't listened to that, you can uh, listen to Oded's interview and his wine bundle with Longboard Vineyards that they've offered for this particular episode. So y'all can check that out. There's some episode notes from episode one on the blog, decanterburytales.com. So make sure you check out our episode notes. We'll try to post one for every single episode. It'll have links to things that are mentioned. It'll have photos if we talk about things. So two episode notes are also going to include pictures of cats. <laughs> because why wouldn't they involve pictures of cats? I mean, honestly, all of our episode notes should have pictures of cats. But we do ask uh, Barbara about her pet. So you'll see some pictures of Georgiana and I's feline friends. Oh, spoiler alert. There are some spoilers for the book in this episode. So if you haven't read the book yet. Hmm? Spoiler, there's spoilers. Spoiler, there's spoilers. <laughs> spoiler alert. If you have not read the book yet, they're not big spoilers. But if you haven't read the book yet and you're wanting to read the book, hit pause. We'll be here when you come back. Go finish them and come back and hit play. Enjoy our chat with. Barbara O'Neill, the author of When We Believed in Mermaids. This is this book. I read it actually at the beginning of quarantine last year, and it kind of kicked off my renaissance. I've always loved reading. Georgiana and I, part of our friendship is based on a mutual love of Harry Potter because she was wearing a Harry Potter shirt. Oh, I love great. <laughs> so our friendship is kind of just based around mutual loves and I was reading this book over the summer during quarantine and when we decided like let's go ahead and do it let's start the podcast I was like we have to do when we believed in mermaids first because it was just like after I read your book I like had this new kind of renewed thirst for books again. Wow I mean I can't even think of anything that would make me happier than hearing that like because reading is my thing I mean Obviously, for every writer, reading is a thing, but this is, it's wonderful. I love hearing that. And I'm so excited to be like your kickoff person. That's kind of fun. Yeah, it's it really exciting. And um, thank you again so much. We kind of, we've, uh, Georgiana and I have learned the art of asking and just send an email. 
Just do it. The so. the answer is going to 100% be no if we don't ask. If we ask, there's a maybe. There is a maybe. And sometimes there's an actual yes, because here I am. Yeah, no. <laughs> right? That's good. I love it. Sounds great. We're jumping for joy. When you emailed us back, we were like, no way. Really? Uh, we immediately called each other and we're like, is this happening? How is this happening? <laughs> that is so cool. That's so cool. Good. All right. Well, let's jump right in. So, okay. of course, we'll start at the very beginning. Uh, where did you start on writing the novel When We Believed in Mermaids? For you, is it the characters come first? Does the plot come first? And also, do you still think about where the characters are now? Like, do they continue living in your head or do they kind of just die once the book is over? Okay, those are two really good questions. I'm going to separate them out and start with the first one. The uh, A character always comes to me like with baggage attached. And so I have to sort of figure out like where does she belong? Kit is who came to me. Um, and I had to figure out where she belonged, like what was happening with her. Um, and it turns out that a friend of mine had given me a book years ago. She knows I like to write about food and restaurants. And she visited Nepenthe, which is a restaurant on, in Big Sur um, on the coast of California. And I always knew in the back of my mind it would be something. So it turned into this. I'm like, oh, that would be a good setting. And then I heard that first line. Like, you know, I saw my sister, you know, 15 years after she died, I saw my sister on the evening news. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's a pretty good opener. So um, they don't always come like that, but when they do, you know, it's strong and you go with it. So that's kind of where it all came from. And the whole mermaid theme bizarrely came out of uh, watching my granddaughters, two sisters, play with their new mermaid dolls in the bathtub. I'm like, oh, mermaids are great. I love mermaids and they're living on the ocean. And I, that sounds so prosaic, but that's sort of how ideas happen sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's that. And as far as them dying off when they go, no, it's like my kids going off to college. Like it's so painful to say goodbye to them. I am always in a funk for a few weeks after. And with this one, it was really hard. I was very attached to these characters and just wondering how they're doing and if they're getting along well. And so when I hear from other people, I'm like, oh, they're good. They're great. It's, it's good to hear about them. That's kind of how it is for me. So um, yeah, it's kind of a crazy emotional ride sometimes. I'm sure. I didn't want to say goodbye to them either when I was reading. I kind of savored the last couple chapters because I didn't want to say goodbye. I wanted to, I needed to know what happened, but I kind of wanted to keep living with them and their journey and their story. That's one of the things I say about writing is that it's when you're a writer, it's like being a reader times a hundred because you get to spend a certain amount of time with them when you're a reader, but you really get to spend a long time with them and still not enough sometimes. Yeah, just a random question. So how long did it take you to write uh, when we believed in mermaids? How long were you with them? It usually takes me about a year and it was about that for mermaids too. Awesome. That's a good hang. Um, so the plot, if Kit hadn't seen Mari on TV and gone looking for her, do you think Mari would have acknowledged or returned to her previous life? And if so, what do you think would have driven her back? If not, do you think that running away from trauma is sustainable or is it going to resurface unless you confront it? You know, that was, that is such a good question. And no one has asked me that question, whether they would have gotten together before. So I think this was a brilliant question. 
And I'm going to say, I think that she would not ever have found the courage to like own up to that. Like she has this good life and she's done all the work, but that was a major piece. But at the same time, you know, like the whole AA thing really requires honesty and somebody would have been like hammering at that eventually. So maybe she would have, but um, say the second part about trauma again, so I can answer it properly. Um, if not, do you think running away from trauma is sustainable or is it always going to resurface? Yeah, no, I don't think that running from trauma is sustainable. Eventually something will come back, something will haunt you, something will break you again. I really do believe that. So she what probably had to do it. Right, and that, that her daughter looked so much like her sister, that creates this constant tension. So eventually she probably would have had to cave or deal with it in some way or another, but she hadn't yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what led you to choose surfing as the bonding and kind of therapeutic element for these characters? And have you ever surfed? Okay, here's why I admit, no, I have never surfed in my life. I'm actually kind of afraid to be in the ocean, especially the Pacific, because it's really murky and there's a lot of seaweed and it's like, you never know what's touching you. It's kind of gross. But I think that watching people surf always takes my breath away. And it just looks like a thing of power and beauty and excitement. And I am a really serious hiker and walker. And I've like hiked hundreds and hundreds of miles, like many days in a row. And I've been in really challenging situations where I was hiking. So I think it must be sort of like that. And so I took my love of hiking and being outdoors and that communal feeling that you get from the earth um, and applied it to surfing. Because in my, uh, my alternate life, I really am a really hot surfer. You know, that's how it is. I get I to like it. It's a writer. That's I want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so surfing's kind of the levity, the catharsis and the therapy for these characters in this book. But the book itself deals with substance abuse, sexual assault, abortion, suicide, devastating natural disasters, loss, grief, seriously heavy stuff that as a reader could leave you really down. But we discussed it. We never felt that way. For some reason, we felt optimism that despite everything bad, it was gonna be okay. And do you feel that you have a responsibility as a writer to bring these issues to the forefront? And how do you balance such those heavy topics with such levity? It's a good question too. I really believe that one of the most interesting things about human beings is how resilient we are and also how some people are extremely resilient and other people just, stop and break, like over something seemingly small, like some people get stuck in their trauma. So I'm always really interested in what keeps you moving. How do some people get through it? And I always hope that like, maybe that gives somebody who's struggling a little bit um, a way to hold on or get through another day or whatever. And I actually do get letters like that sometimes, like this helped me heal my trauma or my help me heal my relationship with my mother. Um, but I do feel that I have a solemn obligation to end on an up note always, because there's a lot of darkness in the world. I write commercial women's fiction, you know, unabashedly, and I really love it. So my job is to sort of take you away, let you experience some of these things. If you need to or not, you can kind of keep it at a distance if you need to. Um, and then say, 
sometimes things actually do work out. Like that's the best we can do sometimes, but it's pretty good when it's good like that. The title, when we believed in mermaids, evokes like the sense of innocence and obviously refers to a time before they experienced that trauma. But honestly, each character seems to have had their innocence taken from them so early. Um, so is it a like naivety? Is it a construct, an illusion? Why did you choose that for the title? The, um, the, the title was a little bit of a tweak. It kind of blend in with, with mermaids in the title when we, um, I can't remember what it was originally, but it was my editor who said when we believed in mermaids. And I was like, okay, that's perfect because it brings out that sense of poignancy and a longing for something that you wish or magic that sort of escaped you a little bit. And so that's kind of what the book is about. And I thought it was like, just, you know, such a smart word choice right there. So that's where that came from because they did lose their innocence early. And a lot of them were really damaged really early and yet, and yet, you know, there is still magic in the world. You know, and you feel that in the title, just hearing you say, when we believed in mermaid, like my heart just, it just, it evokes that feeling of simplicity and just happiness and joy. So it's a fabulous title. Thank you. Um, so your writing process, you often write under pseudonyms um, or pen names. And is there a recipe or criterion that dictates which name you use for your novels and any suggestions for coming up with a good pen name? We would like to make one. <laughs> That's an interesting question. I actually haven't been using pen names for quite some time. I started as a young writer, like writing a lot of different things, like, you know, in a commercial way. And so I had to separate them for branding. Um, at the time that I started writing romances, Harlequin Silhouette required people to take a pseudonym. So I picked one, which was terrible. So I can tell you right now, it was very old. It was very strange. It was Ruth Wind. Um, and it's so forgettable and it's such an old name. It was a really old name even then. I don't know why I picked it. So I, I have always done that for branding purposes. Barbara O'Neill is the name that I'm writing under per, you know, completely right now. So um, that's probably what it will be. It'll probably say that. But as for picking a good pen name, I think you have to think about who your audience is and what they would find appealing. Um, I wrote some new adult titles that are very sexy and not at all like my other books. And I was um, hanging out with a friend of mine at a conference and she said like when she was younger, she always had like this fantasy that like she was Batman and Robin's sidekick, Lark. I'm like, oh, Lark is a great name for new a good name. adult writing. And so I'm like, I'm taking it. She's like, you have to tell that story all the time. Then I'm like, <laughs> so Christy Ridgway tells that story. Shout out. Shout out. Um, so we know that you read a lot and do a lot of research to prepare for writing a novel. Are there any specific plot lines that you draw from or embellish upon from your own experiences? I think, I think all writing comes from within us somehow. Um, so certainly there's a really big thread of addiction in my books. Uh, there's a lot of, of addiction and alcoholism in my books. And that's because there's a lot of people in my extended family that were alcoholics and I just grew up with that sort of as reality. So it's really in my face. Um, and just like who you are and the times that you grow up in and the things that you experience, you know, divorce, children, parents, all those things 
enter the work at some point in some way, maybe not exactly the way it is in my real life, but certainly I draw from those experiences. Very cool. Very cool. No, and I, I feel like I'm gonna go a little out of order because that for me, like, I feel like that's cathartic in a sense to be able to say, this is something around me in my life. And it's a way to help you kind of process it through it, give it new life, give it a different lens. What if, what, what not if, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's a really, I think writers probably don't need quite as much therapy as other people because we're constantly working through our stuff um, in a good way. Um, but also, I think, I remember when I was getting divorced and I was really crushed. I'd been married for 20 years. My mom said, but you know, just think of all the people that you'll be able to help who, who aren't able to express their emotions the way that you can. I'm like, wow, mom, <laughs> way to be you know, supportive there. But I guess there's something to that. But it's true. Like that is kind of my job. Like I take on, we all do. For writers, we say, okay, you know, let me experience all the things I need to experience to put all this stuff down on the page to help other people who might be going through that or might have thoughts on these things or whatever. So even, even in commercial fiction, there's a lot of power in just being there to hold someone's hand. So if I experience something and then I can hold someone's hand while they're going through it, that's brilliant. That's amazing. And that, that kind of echoes the, the quote that you said in your PPLD speech, in writing and reading, we heal each other and ourselves. And that I thought yeah. was one of the beautiful things I've ever heard. And so we're talking about catharsis and holding people's hands. So in reading or writing, which do you find most restorative? Which do you find most cathartic? Oh, wow. Um, I, think, I think they can both be very restorative and cathartic. I think writing is a lot more consuming, so it's exhausting and it can be really tiring. And I'm always surprised how two or three hours of writing can just wipe me out for an entire day. And I think, you know, was it always like this? Have I always gotten so tired and my partner will go, yeah, it's always been like that. <laughs> but reading, I mean, like I'm such an obsessive reader. I just finished a book and I was just loving it so much. Fills the well back up okay. for me. Well, we hope you read along with us and join our book club. <laughs> that would be <laughs> your official invitation. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, well, uh, what is your go-to book? The one that you've read so many times that you could almost recite it. Um, the cover's tattered and there's notes in the margins. Like what is your go-to book? I am not a really big rereader. I just don't really like to read a book over again because it, even if I think I've forgotten it, I, I remember like at some point, oh no, I've already read this. I know exactly what's going to happen. But there are a couple of books that I really like to go back to. One is Green Darkness by Anya Seton, which is this big reincarnation romance written in the early 70s that I read when I was about, I don't know, it was older when I read it. So it's probably about 15 or 16. It just blew me away and it was so beautiful. Um, so there was that. And there's a book called One Last Look by Susanna Moore that is set in India that is really dark and kind of not a very pleasant book or pleasant characters, but India is so richly evoked in that book that I have read it over and over again. I have like 
you know, written in the margins. And I teach from it a lot in teaching how to like create a sense of place. But when I go over things, it's always a movie. Like I have like five or six movies that I watch over and over and over again to just like fill that up. That's what does it for me. Do you want to give us a, a little share as to what you're going to do? I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, I am embarrassed to admit it sometimes, but one of them is Titanic. It just gives me comfort. I love Titanic <laughs> so much. Yes, and I was so, you will appreciate this. I have a son who's in his early thirties and he wrote me a text recently and you could tell he, he was like, I just have to tell you the Titanic really is a wonderful movie. And I just didn't understand when I was younger. And I'm like, yes, I know. So that's one of them for me. I love the last of the Mohicans. Um, now that you say that, I can't even think of the others, but there's like five or six that I'll just go to. Oh, green card, which is not as enjoyable now that Gerard Depardieu is so weird, but you know, it's still a good movie. I still really like it. <laughs> Know that you're in safe company with Titanic. Whenever I lose somebody on the phone, I say, come back, come back, come back. Just <laughs> I talk about it all the time. <laughs> yep, always come back if you lose somebody. Always. So. It's always. Netflix right now or Amazon Prime or one of them is out. Oh, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to figure out which one it's on because I have not watched it on streaming in months. So, fine. Yeah. Oh, I know another one, Love Actually. Who doesn't love Love Actually? Oh. Except for all the people who hate it. <laughs> well, like, like, oh, you're with people who love it. So, it's, there you go. I laugh and I cry. I can't help it. I do both emotions in that movie. Me too. So, we did a deep dive on your Instagram. And of course we did. Okay. Laura is so excited. Um, so... Have you drawn any inspiration for characters or plot lines from your cats? <laughs> um, as, all right, Georgiana, you're going to have to help me out with this word. Georgiana found it. I'm obsessed with cats. I love my cats so much. Uh, an so I always, what is it? An allorophile. An allorophile, which is a lover of cats. Please I tell us about your cats in as much detail as possible. Well, I actually have three of them and two dogs. So there is like a lot of them. There's one on my foot right now. His name is Rafe and he's a tuxedo who is the most loving cat in the world. That's kind cute. of my constant companion, like everywhere I go. He goes with me all the time. <laughs> so there you go. Cats are the best. I don't know Absolutely. why, you know, I don't know how you write without a cat, honestly, I don't. I think that comes in like a author starter pack. It's like, here's your computer or your pen and paper and here's your cat. <laughs> Perfect. Someone to purr with you when you're feeling lonely. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, well, that's... Hmm? We're going to have to get cats. I, I've got mine, so... No, you're not, Bay. I'm just missing out. You got to catch up. <laughs> yeah, my cat is... Uh, her name is Baby Kitty, which has now been... We named her when we took her home because she fit in a little uh, PetSmart hamster box. She was so small when we adopted her. Uh, now she's actually had to be on, be on a diet. Uh, she was 17 and a half pounds. That's a pretty big kitty. Yeah, we're proud of her weight loss journey. She weighed in at 13 and a half, which is healthy. But uh, so when she got too big, she turned into Bay Kitty. She, she's not a baby. <laughs> like, but that is her really big muscle. Her name. Uh, 
a like rag doll. He was just, we found him in the forest and he was like, help me. I lost my people. I don't know where they are. Could you please take me home? And he's been like that ever since. He's just like so loving, but he's a 17 pound cat, but he's really big and muscular. So I don't envy you putting a cat on a diet. Just saying. Oh, she was, she's not pleased. She's not pleased at all. Well done. All right. Thank you so much for chatting with us. We love your book and we are so excited that you took the time to talk to us and answer our questions and we really appreciate it. Yeah, it was really Thank you. to help you guys launch your first podcast. So yes. I look Thank to, to hearing it and seeing how you do. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Have Bye. A great day. Bye. That was a gorgeous interview with Barbara. Incredible. Thank you, Barbara, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about your amazing book, When We Believed in Mermaids. I appreciate just how giving and open she was talking about her process, about reading, about the plot of the book, what it means to her, and just some random great Thank you, Barbara. Thank you. We hope... uh, You enjoyed it as much as we did, Barbara and our listeners. It's just super fantastic. And we could not be more grateful for people who have subscribed already, left us a review. Uh, You guys can listen to us anywhere you like to listen. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor.fm. There's so many ways you can listen directly from our website, decanterburytales.com. You can also write us an email if you have a suggestion for a book or a wine that you want us to talk about, decanterburypod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, decanterburypod. We love hearing from you. We love hearing that you're enjoying the book if you've gotten it. So we just really can't express how grateful we are and how excited we are to have you guys join us on this Boozy Book Club podcast. And speaking of that BBC podcast coming up, standing for Boozy Book Club, not BBC, the British bar. (laughs) We are releasing our episode on Saturday where Laura and I really do a deep dive into the book, talk about what it meant to us, what we got out of it, tell you a little bit more about us because we realized we just kind of jumped into the reading and the whining and we jumped into the meat and potatoes of this podcast and didn't give you anything else. So this is your side salad. Yeah, this is your side salad and your little like pre-dinner cocktail that we didn't give you. And an amuse-bouche. <laughs> A little amuse-bouche. We didn't tell you anything about us or how to how this podcast works. So if you're curious about that, you can go to our website. There is a tab called How It Works. But read the episode notes. Uh, We've got some great extra bonus content where you can watch Titanic. Also shop the wine bundle uh, until the end of February at longboardvineyards.com. You can also use promo code mermaids for 15% off any three bottles or more. It's good guys. We've got some good stuff going on and we're so excited to share it with you. And at the end of our episode on Saturday, we will let you know our February book. Yes. Bombs up and stay weird. Bye. Bye.